Let's pray together. Oh God, we turn our attention to you in this time. As we have sung about your greatness and your faithfulness, how your promises are as true today as they were in the days of the scriptures that we will read, we turn our attention to you. There's a part of us, God, that we can feel that we were actually made to praise you, made to, to turn our hearts towards you, made to, to claim that you are the one who holds us fast and who holds us safe. And so, God, we pray that you would move in our hearts, teach us, form us, change us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's great to be with you. My name's Jacob Armstrong. I'm one of the pastors here. And I want to talk to you today about a seat that you may be sitting in that you are not supposed to be sitting in. There may be a seat that you're sitting in that you're not supposed to be sitting in. And you're like, I'm in my recliner, dude. <laughs> this is a metaphor, okay? Like metaphorically, like spiritually, uh, emotionally, there may be a, a place that you're in. For some of us, it may even feel like a place that you're stuck, that until you get up from that seat, until you move, you're actually going to be in the wrong seat or in the wrong spot, in the wrong place. When my first daughter, Mary, was born, uh, my heart shifted. <laughs> like, I remember uh, she was born, they put her in her mother's arms, and I looked at her, and my heart moved, you know? It changed me forever that she came into the world. And I remember what it was like. It felt like we had only had Mary in the room for a short period of time when a nurse came in and she said, we are now going to take Mary down to the nursery. And immediately, I thought that was a bad idea. You know, I had waited nine months to meet Mary, and now it felt like she'd been with us nine minutes, and they were going to take her away. And so the nurse and I kind of had this standoff, and she could tell that I was struggling with that. And so she invited me. She said, you can walk with us. And so I walked with the nurse. Mary was in this rolling cart. They were a few steps ahead of me, and I just watched this precious baby that I had just met rolling down the hall in front of me. We turned a corner, and we went over this walkway that went over a road there at Vanderbilt Hospital, and I stayed as close as I could to this nurse who seemed maybe like, you know, some type of covert spy baby stealer. I don't know what I was worried about, but I knew that I didn't want that baby to get out of my sights. And so the nurse came to the nursery, and there was one of those keypads on the wall, and she put the, she put the code in, spy-like, you know, put the code in, opened the door, and I just kind of eased, I stayed as close as I could, and the nurse looked at me like, you're coming in here. I'm like, yes, I can't leave. And so she was so kind, and she let me come into the nursery with them. And it was moments I'll never forget, just to see little Mary, they weighed her and performed some tests, and I was just there with them. It was so great. And then they placed her, this tiny baby, in this little, like, you know, cage, see-through cage, and there were these lights shining down on her. And still, the nurse looked at me, and she's like, you're, you're still not going to leave, are you? And I was like, nope, I'm not going to leave. And so she actually put a folding chair next to Mary's little bed there, and I sat down. And I sat there for a few moments. It's like my heart was connected to her heart. It's like I was trying to figure out how I could keep her as safe and as you know, protected as I could. And that's when I looked up. And I realized that I was behind the glass, <laughs> you know, the nursery at the hospital. I was behind that glass where all these family members were gathered, people looking at their babies and pointing. There I was. I just kind of, you know, gave them a wave. And 
In that moment, I felt a buzz in my shirt pocket. It was my phone buzzing, which meant I had a voicemail. And since I wasn't going anywhere, I thought I would <laughs> check my voicemail. And I opened it up. It was a flip phone. <laughs> I opened it up and listened. It was this guy named Tommy. Tommy was a guy I went to church with, a little bit older than me. He had daughters as well, but they, they were older. And, and he said, hey, he said, hey, Jacob, it's Tommy. He said, she's beautiful, man. Congratulations. He said, I'm outside of the glass. I'm looking at you right now. <laughs> and so I looked up, kind of gave him away, but I kept listening. And these are the words I remember Tommy said. I've always remembered them on my heart. He said this. He said, Jacob, her every breath in and her every breath out are out of your control. You can't make her breathe. And so he said, stand up, walk out, and come out here with the normal people. And so I did because I was sitting in the wrong seat. I had got there from really good intentions, you know, out of love, out of responsibility, and yeah, I know out of fear, but that seat was not the seat I was supposed to sit in. And you may, you may be sitting in a seat right now that you're not supposed to sit in. It's actually pretty likely coming out of this year and all that's gone on that many of us have eased into places, eased into spots, eased into to seats, if you will, that are not the seat we're supposed to be sitting in, the seat where we are holding control, control of our lives or seeking to control the lives of others, even those we love. Or maybe for you, it is the seat of fear or the seat of anger, or for some of us, the seat of shame. You may be sitting in a seat that you're not supposed to sit in. I've told you guys a few times over the last couple of weeks about this time that Jesus came and overturned tables in the temple. Well, the way that happened is Jesus had entered into the city. You may have heard this story on a Sunday that we now call Palm Sunday. He was the king that everyone was waiting on, but he was riding on a donkey. They expected the king to come on a, on a white horse, you know, as a conquering lord. What kind of king comes on a donkey? Well, we have to keep reading to find out. They shouted, Hosanna, which means save us, and took palm leaves off and waved them. They actually took their coats off and put them down on the ground because that's the kind of entry that a king should receive. And the first thing that Jesus does is he enters into the temple courts and drives out those who were buying and selling there, there in the temple courts, just around the, the holy place where they believe God dwelled, in the temple courts, there were people buying and selling. Well, what was going on there is that the people came to the temple, especially on, on a week like this, the Passover feast, to make sacrifices. And what they sacrificed were animals. And over time, they've just began to make it easier selling those animals in the temple courts. But it wasn't just a marketplace for animals. There was also this big business happening there where they were changing money. What that means, especially like that week, the week of the Passover, there could have been 300, 400,000 people that had come from the known world all for that great festival there in Jerusalem. And they would have come to the temple and they would have come carrying money, currency that was not the Jewish money. So Greek money and Roman money was changed over with a little 
little bit of an upcharge so folks could make their money, and some thought that they were swindling them and cheating them, and there was arguments out there. And so when Jesus arrived outside of the temple courts, there were you know cows mooing and sheep around and doves flying and people uh, selling things and ancient cash registers and folks cheating people out of money. It was a total mess. And that's when Jesus overturned the tables. <laughs> Matthew 21 says, Jesus overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And this is what he said. He said, it's written that my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. And like I said, we love this story because Jesus has a temper tantrum, but this story is not about Jesus having a temper tantrum. It's about Jesus being so grieved, his heart, his heart of love and his heart of mercy aching that the temple and the place where people would come to meet with God had been turned into a place where the most important thing were coins and doves. And he says, the way to God is not coins and doves. The way to God is prayer. And so in this story, Jesus is calling them back to the true meaning of the temple, true gathering of the people of God. And there's something in here that I had never noticed. And I've read this story a bunch. I've told it to you guys the last couple of weeks. I'd never noticed that it doesn't just say that Jesus overturned the tables of the money changers. Look at it again. It says Jesus overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. Maybe Jesus is saying to them, there's a seat that you have sat down in. There's a chair that has been put up, and you're not supposed to be sitting there. We see Jesus' action as, you know, maybe angry or harsh, but what he was doing by turning those chairs over, by pushing them out of the way, was saying to them, I want you to get up, and I don't want you to sit here again. And there are different seats that we have found ourselves in that Jesus is inviting us out of. And I want to talk about those with you uh, just, just a little bit in a minute. But first, I want to get a little bit more context on what is happening here in the, the, the book of Matthew, what's actually happening at the temple. And so to do that, we actually have to travel back about 600 years. And we're going to do that together, time travel through the Bible, about 600 years to the book of Jeremiah. And, and the reason we're doing that is because in Jeremiah chapter 7, we find Jeremiah standing in the temple courts with a bunch of people gathered around. They think when this happened that it could have even been the feast of the Passover. There would have been people milling around, all kinds of things happening. And listen to Jeremiah's words. He says, hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who come through these gates to worship the Lord. Now remember, we've talked about this before, sometimes a prophet, a prophet like Jeremiah in his day, is not thought of as a prophet, but as a troublemaker. And so Jeremiah is about to make trouble for the people who are gathering at the temple. He says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, reform your ways and your actions, and I will let you live in this place. He's actually saying to come in here, you're going to have to change some things. He says, do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. A funny statement. What, what's going on there? It's just the kind of thing that you say, like when you get to church or you get in the presence of other people, you just, it's just the exuberance of that. And you're like, yes, this is awesome. The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. He says, don't trust in words like that. And then he asks them a hard question. He's going to trouble them. He says, will you steal and murder, commit adultery, 
swear by the false gods, burn incense to Baal, follow other gods you've now known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which bears my name, and say we are safe, safe to do all these detestable things. And then listen, Jeremiah says, speaking the word of God, he says, has this house, which bears my name, become a den of robbers to you? When Jesus was troubling the people outside of the temple, he was actually quoting Jeremiah, who was doing the same thing with the people of God 600 years before, saying, you're getting some things wrong. (laughs) He's troubling them. And these sound like harsh words, but again, a prophet like Jeremiah or a Messiah like Jesus troubles us and turns those seats over so that we won't be able to sit back down in them again. When I was a brand new parent, you know, I thought, here's the seat I'm going to have to sit in. It's where I'm going to have to be in control, where I'm going to have to take charge of everything. And I thank God that he got me out of that chair. (laughs) And I want you to think about right now where you might be sitting, some places you have eased back into because you thought you had to take over, you had to be in control. Would you be open to Jesus troubling you, troubling you so much that you'd have to get up and, and walk out to a different place? If you've sat down in the seat of control of your life, like you're the king or the queen of the kingdom that you live in, or again, maybe you've sat down this year in a seat of anger or a seat of fear or a, a seat of shame, would we be open to hearing Jesus hearing Jeremiah calling us to something. Listen to what they're calling us to. They're calling us to remember. They're calling us to remember what what the temple is all about. You see, the temple was not about a place for changing money or buying doves to somehow appease a great God. The, The temple was originally there as a way of saying the presence of God is right in the middle of our city. The presence of God is right in the middle of our bustling marketplace. The presence of God is right in the middle of our most important place. Jeremiah was hearkening the people back to a time even before the temple when they said the presence of God is in the middle of our camp. The presence of God is in this tent that we set up every night, which again wasn't a way of separation. It was a way of saying God is actually with us. The presence of God is in, the, is in the middle of our camp. The presence of God is in the middle of my family. The presence of God is in, the, is in the middle of my heart. Jesus was asking the people, Jeremiah was calling the people to remember that the religious institutions and the buildings that we build are not set up so we can check a box or make a buck or, or, or move on to our next thing. They're, they're, they're to remind us that God brought us through the wilderness and he will see us through this. And so we build these places that represent where God's spirit is, but really the spirit has been with us all along. Let me tell you just a bit more about how this temple thing came together. We're going to have to go back in time again. I know it's a bit much, but hang with me. So Jeremiah was actually hearkening back to a time way before he came, a time 400 years before, 400 years before Jeremiah. So a thousand years before Jesus, there was a man named David. David was the second king of Israel. Uh, the first king didn't last too long, so this kingdom was brand new. And so the people of God, whose whole identity had been traveling through the wilderness, trying to make it, fighting against other people, now had their own land, now had their place, 
Now they'd, they'd put down roots, they'd planted crops, they'd, they'd built their homes. And David, who was the second king, who was a man who had a heart for God, he has this great statement in 2 Samuel, and he says, here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. What David was talking about was how before the temple, there was a tabernacle, a tent that they would set up and they put the holy things, the Ark of the Covenant, God's word, God's presence was thought to reside in this tent. And so David, who's a good guy, a good king, a guy who loves the Lord, he thinks, why am I living in this palace of cedar while the Ark of God remains in a tent? You, you can see what David is up to. He's thinking about the first building project for the people of God. He's about doing something special. He's thinking about uh, erecting an edifice to say, this is where our God lives. And if you go and read in 2 Samuel, you'll find it's very interesting what, um, what God says to David. I won't read it to you. I'll just kind of paraphrase for you for a moment. He says, to, he says to David, he said, David, did I ever need a house? He said, he said did I ever ask you to, to build a house for me? He said, I walked with you. I walked with you through the wilderness. He says to David specifically, he said, I took you out of the pasture where you were a shepherd and, and I defeated your foes and I defended you from the enemy and I pulled you out of the caves and I set you on this throne and I, and I made you the king. So God actually says to David, he says, um, if you go back and read it, he says, um, instead of you building a house for me, I'll build a house for you. And God kind of reframes the whole idea of, of a temple or a place to come. It's not about God needing some place where God can feel special. It's about a place where God can meet with us. Let me read to you uh, from 2 Samuel. This is what he, um, the Lord says to David. He says, the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. And then he says, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. So God's saying through David's lineage, through David, there will be a new kingdom. And he says, he is the one who will build a house for my name. So God says to David, there will be one coming through you who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I know this is a lot, but what they took that to mean is that someone coming after David and his lineage would build this holy temple, and that would be the place where God would reside. And in fact, David's son, Solomon, his next son, builds this great temple. It's the same temple that Jeremiah was at, the temple that Jesus came to. But what I want you to see is, um, is right after that moment where God gave that word to David to say, it's not so much about you building a house for me, but me coming to meet with you. This is what David did. So this is the first thing that happens in the building project for the people of God. 2 Samuel 7, 18. It says, Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he prayed. Before there was ever any grand building, before there was ever uh, people selling things outside of the temple courts, the first thing that happened in the building project of the temple is David left his throne in a cedar palace went before the Lord into his presence. Before there was a temple, there was the presence of God and sat down before the Lord and he prayed. A thousand years later, Jesus is saying, I'm knocking over your seats because I want you to sit down in the presence of God. This is a house of prayer for all 
people. You see, it's so easy for us to um, start setting up chairs all over the place <laughs> that really aren't the seat that we're supposed to be sitting in. And if God could call to a king like David and say, leave your throne, sit in my presence and pray, I believe he could be saying that to us as well. Jeremiah seemed like such a troublemaker. Jesus it seemed like he was making a big fuss, throwing those tables over. But it was one of the most important <laughs> words, statements that they could make, which is to say, you've made this about something other than it's supposed to be. And in our lives, when we do that, when we make our lives about something other than it's supposed to be, us being in control or us being angry at everyone or us relying on things that have been set up by men that don't really guarantee the safety that we're looking for. You know, we, we think we've got this building. Well, that's great, you know. We think on our coins it says, in God we trust. Or, you know, they pray before the Congress meeting. We think, okay, that's good. We're safe. We'll move on. But if the people of God don't pray, if the people of God don't come before him, if they don't leave their thrones, if they don't leave their seats of privilege and walk down and say, the most important thing I can do is sit in your presence and pray. If we forget what Jeremiah was trying to tell the people and what Jesus was trying to tell the people, and that is we have set up things that are actually keeping us from God that we think are the boxes that we're supposed to check to appease that God. But that's not the way God works. He says, I didn't ask you to build me a house. I've been with you every step of the way. And so those of us who are cut to the heart when we hear that, we think, so what am I supposed to do? How do I get out of this chair? I don't even know how I got here. What am I supposed to do, God? We see in the early church when those folks who had watched Jesus and were praying and praying and praying and the Spirit moved and the Spirit showed them that they were going after detestable things that they thought would make them safe, that wouldn't keep them safe. The early followers of Jesus says, here's what you do. Here's what you do. You repent. You say, I'm sorry. You, you let the chair go away. And you stand up and you walk into a new life. You walk into the place that God is telling us. If you're wondering, what am I supposed to do today? How do I get out of this chair? You repent. The, uh, the early church, they would say, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. Paul said it this way. He said, if you just confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You see what Paul's saying with that statement. When we say, Jesus is the Lord of my life, immediately stand up out of the chair where we've been Lord, where we've been in control, like David off of his throne, and we come and sit before God. And he says, if you just say that, if you just say that Jesus is Lord, and if you just believe that Jesus is who he said he was and that he was risen from the grave, you will be saved. And so I want to invite you, wherever you're watching this, if it's possible, just get out of your chair, however you want to do it. Stand up or get down on your knees. Not metaphorically, physically, just kind of do something. You know, stand up or get on your knees and, and repent. Say, God, I've been sitting in a seat that I shouldn't be sitting in. Believe, believe today. And if you do that today, if you confess Jesus as Lord, get out of that chair, and you believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. David had some beautiful prayers, that king who sat in the presence of God. And in one of them, in Psalm 139, he said, where can I go to get away from your presence? And what he meant by that, he said, there's nowhere that I can go. Everywhere I go, God is with me. God is not confined in a temple or a tent. His presence is with us. And so I invite you to become a person of prayer, to, to move from your seat of control or shame or anger or 
and sit down in the seat of prayer, in the very presence of God. And I promise you, God will meet you 